approach to many of the traditional approaches that we have. And there's a place for that. I have preached many traditional messages. Um, but sometimes I, I just see things a little differently. And I'm always looking to find application for my life. And when I get the application, I like to pass it on to you. So I'm going to ask you not to change the channel. Where I'm going to go, you may be tempted to say, what does this have to do with Christmas? Hang with me. It has everything to do with Christmas. It's the version that doesn't always get talked about when we're thinking about the peace and the serenity of a silent night. Um, we never, ever want to forget that Christ was born to die. That the manger was simply a passageway to the cross. And so the Christmas story is the gospel story. And the gospel story is a story of blood, of sacrifice to save us from our sins. So let me pray. Father, would you help me teach your people? Would you help your people have ears to hear what you want to say from your word? Thank you for this moment where we get to worship you. We pray for people brothers and sisters around the world right now who their worship of you may not be as calm and as quiet as our worship is because maybe they are surrounded by tanks and grenades and bombs and threats. Maybe they are not able to assemble publicly. We remember our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ right now who are suffering in various parts of the world. So Lord, thank you that to whom much is given, much is required. Thank you, Jesus. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the greatest gifts of Christmas is the gift of family. Isn't that right, Brother Charles? That's one of the greatest gifts of Christmas that we travel from all over the place. Some of us have come from other continents to come here to this country to worship with family because Christmas, like no other time, affords the family to get together, to be together, to worship together, to give to one another, to love on one another. It's a wonderful time. It's a great gift that Christmas gives us. Um, people seem to be a little kinder, a little nicer, a little sweeter around Christmas time. And no matter how difficult your family may be, or even how delightful your family may be, or how dysfunctional your family may be. God placed you right where he wanted you to be. He placed you in the family that he wants you to be a part of. And for many of us, our families are all three of those things. It can be difficult, it can be delightful, and it can be dysfunctional. And if we're honest, that's the way that it is because we're all fallen and we all need the grace and the mercy of the Lord. In Acts chapter 17, when Paul was in Mars Hill and he was preaching to the Greek philosophers, he talked about how God had chosen from one man every nation on the face of the earth, how he had created every nation of people from one man being Adam. And he appointed everyone's boundaries, where they would live. And God did all of that according to Acts 17 so that men might reach for God, search for God and find him because Paul said he is not far from each one of us. So our God is not a God of accidents. He's a God of providence. He placed you right where he wants you to be. Whether your family is broken, whether your family is whole, he has you right where he wants you to be so that ultimately you may look beyond your family 
and find him. That's why I love Psalm 68, verse 5. It says, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows is God in his holy dwelling. Then verse 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. He leads forth the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. Many of you who have adopted, you've used this passage of scripture to encourage you in your journey that God set your child into your family for such a time as this. And so God sets the lonely. He's the father of the fatherless. He is the father of and the defender of widows. And so he is the God who creates families when maybe there was no family. And I am blessed to be a part of a great family. I am blessed. God placed me in a wonderful family. He's given me a great family. And I just want to thank him while I have this microphone in my hand. And I want to take a moment to introduce you to some of my family members, some of my ancestors. I'm going to place up on the screen uh, my family tree so you can see where I come from, my, my ancestral heritage from my father's side and my mother's side. As you look on the screen, you'll see my genealogy. Um, on my father's side, my father, his name is Harold Williamson Sr. My oldest brother is a member of Strong Tower Bible Church. His name is Harold Jr. Um, but my dad comes from the Reverend Hezekiah and Eloise Williamson. Um, he was born in 1914, my, my, my father's dad, and uh, he was a minister. I went to his church growing up in Baltimore, Maryland. I got baptized by Reverend Hezekiah. See, back in the day, they would name you by those biblical names like that. And uh, he had, my, my, my father, his middle name is Emmanuel. He has a brother named Moses, and then there's Hezekiah Jr. And so you had these biblical names in my family. And so I, I, I got baptized by my grandfather at New Mount Carmel Baptist Church that he and my dad built brick by brick. They built this church in Baltimore City, and my dad helped my grandfather build that church, laying the bricks. And I got baptized, but I didn't know Jesus Christ. I, I, at the age of nine, I did what everybody was supposed to do, and I got baptized, but I didn't know the Lord. Well, my grandfather's father was Billy Williamson, and his wife's name was Nora. And then they descended from, according to my family records, a gentleman named Bright Williamson. And Bright was a slave. My people come from South Carolina, I believe uh, Darlington, South Carolina. And then there is Happy Williamson. And the records that my family have been able to uncover show that Happy Williamson was a slave owner. So my family took on the name of a slave owner, their slave owner. So Happy Williamson owned my family, no doubt Bright Williamson who gave birth to Billy Williamson, who gave birth to Reverend Hezekiah Williamson, who gave birth to Harold Williamson, who gave birth to me. And then on my mother's side, my mother's maiden name is Connor. Her, her father's name is Elijah, and her mother's name was Britannus, Britannus Connor. And Elijah, my mother told me this probably five years ago. This was a revelation to me. Uh, my grandfather Elijah on my mother's side uh, is an Irishman. And so I see how God was already putting a diverse kingdom in me. 
And when you look around and see all of these light-skinned black folks, we got some white folk in our ancestry, all right? So that's just the way that it is. And I thank God for that, for my grandfather, Elijah. Never met him. And then um, they came from Henry and Anna Bell McKinney. Now, as you can see on my father's side, I can only go back five generations. On my mother's side, I can only go back three generations. And I don't know how far some of you can go back if you've ever tried to go back. Some of you can trace your people all the way back to Scotland. You can trace your people all the way back to this place and that place. But that's as far as I can go. But I, I, I want to share something with you about somebody that goes back 42 generations. <laughs> Y'all didn't hear what I just said. I went back as far as I could go, and that's five. But we have in Scripture our King, our Jesus. He goes back 42 generations. And in Matthew chapter 1, you can read about it. And when Matthew began his gospel account, this Jewish man who was once a tax collector, but Jesus called him away from that table, being a disciple and ultimately an apostle, and one who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit would give us the gospel of Matthew, he starts his gospel with a family tree. Because he wants to prove to his Jewish audience that Jesus is, in fact, the rightful heir to David's throne. That Jesus Christ is, in fact, the king that Israel has been waiting for. And so in this family tree, it's safe to say that the great patriarch Abraham is the roots. He's the roots of the tree. King David is the trunk of that tree. And there are many branches that shoot forth, speaking of the descendants of Abraham. But the ultimate fruit of that tree, yes, we acknowledge Abraham as the roots. And yes, we acknowledge King David as the trunk. And many other Jews as the branches. But the ultimate fruit of the tree is the life-giving fruit, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And in Matthew's account, in Matthew's rendering of Jesus' genealogy, there's also another genealogy in Luke's gospel. But what we see is that Jesus' life, ministry, and even his ancestry are ultimate expressions of diversity. That's a beautiful word for Strong Tower Bible Church because we are a church where we experience and expand God's diverse kingdom in the city and throughout the world. Uh, the kingdom is not homogeneous. It is wonderfully and beautifully and even complex in its diversity. Galatians chapter 3 verse 28 is our verse as a church that gives us the springboard for our vision where it speaks about how there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So we are all different, but we're one. Our unity supersedes our differences. And it's only in our unity in Christ that we're able to put our differences in the proper perspective. We don't shy away from race, class, and gender. We embrace those things because the Father predetermined race, class, and gender. And so we talk about it. We celebrate it. We work through it as God's children. And when I read Jesus, the Savior who came into the world, he is the ultimate expression of diversity. Pastor, what do you mean? 
Well, when you look at Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew does something that very few writers of antiquity would do. And that is he included not just one woman in the genealogy of Jesus. He included five women in the genealogy of Jesus. Now, again, when you would read ancient writings, women are not included in genealogies. But Matthew broke the rules under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he included five women. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, and Mary. Why in the world would he do that? Well, I believe he did that because he is signaling that there is a new day that is coming as a result of the new covenant that's coming through the new wine that the Holy Spirit is going to give with the Messiah coming into the earth. And so when Jesus walked the earth, he valued women. He included women. He honored women in a way that no other rabbi in his time ever did. And so we see women being valued even in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And I love that. But not only do you see gender as far as Jesus in his genealogy, including women in his genealogy under Matthew's writing. But I also want you to notice the various class variations in Jesus' genealogy. You have patriarchs or fathers of the faith in his genealogy. You have also prostitutes in his genealogy. I mentioned we all have dysfunction in our families because dysfunction is in us. But there are also kings in his family tree. There are also slaves. When the Israelites went into Babylon for 70 years, his people were enslaved. But then there were also poor people in his genealogy. Mary and Joseph, many of us believe, were poor. Why do you say that, Pastor? It's not their fault that there wasn't any room in the inn. And Jesus had to be born in a room, part of another house, and some traditions a stable. It's not their fault. Well, let me throw this thought at you. The Bible says in the book of Leviticus that when a son is born, that family is to bring that child to the temple to dedicate that child back to God. And they're to bring a price, a fee for that child, which was a lamb. But if a family could not afford a lamb, they were to bring either two turtle doves or two pigeons. And in Matthew and in Luke's gospel, we see Mary and Joseph not bringing a lamb because technically they had the lamb of God with them. Uh, those animals in the Old Testament were pictures or types of Christ. Those animals could only cover the sins of the people. They couldn't take them away. But when John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, this is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's no other need for any more sacrifices because Christ's sacrifice paid it all. But Mary and Joseph couldn't afford a lamb, so they brought turtle doves or pigeons. So in Christ's family, there's a vast array of people from rich to poor, from patriarchs to prostitutes, from queens all the way over to common men and women such as slaves. So we see gender being included in his genealogy when normally it would not. You see various classes of people. But then finally, 
based on a Galatians 3.28 paradigm and the vision of this church, you see race in Jesus' genealogy. As a church, we have to be able to talk about this. In times past, the churches shied away and stayed away from talking about race. But we live in a world right now where race is everywhere. And if we don't talk about it, the world is going to define race. And we can't have that anymore. We need to be a part of this, the discussion, if not leading the discussion as it pertains to race. And so Jesus, there, there, there's race in his genealogy. Well, we all know that Jesus is Jewish, right? We all know that, that he was a Semite or Semitic, that he is a descendant of Shem. We, we do know that he was not born in North America, that he was not born in Africa. He went to Africa when his family went to Egypt, but he was not born in Africa. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. He is a descendant of Shem, one of Noah's sons. Jesus was a Hebrew. He is the lion from the tribe of Judah. So that's very, very clear. But Jesus also had several Gentile people groups in his family tree. And this is so encouraging to us because when we look at his racial lineage, we see at least one Canaanite, and that was Rahab, the prostitute. She was a Canaanite. She married a Hebrew man to carry on the lineage within the line to get to Jesus. And so a Canaanite who were the enemies of God, they were the ones who inherited the promised land. They, they uh, dispersed there after the flood. And their descendants, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, and all these Jebusites, they were in the promised land that God had given to Abraham and his descendants. And so we see here that Jesus welcomes in the enemy. But I like how he says it in Ephesians chapter 2, that the blood of Jesus not only brings Jews who are near close to Christ, but the blood of Christ also brings those of us who are far away, i.e. Gentiles, to the cross, to the favor of the Lord. So it's always been God's plan to include all people. He told Abraham, the father of the Jews, Genesis 12, through you, I'm going to bless every family on the face of the earth. That's why we Gentiles are sitting here singing Silent Night. That's why we can talk about Jesus because we've been grafted in to this tree. That Jesus is the ultimate vine and the fruit of this tree. That's good news to me. But not only that, there's a Moabite in his family line. What is a Moabite, Pastor? Well, Ruth was a Moabite. And Ruth, as you know, married Boaz, the kinsman redeemer. The Moabites descended from Lot, Abraham's nephew. And when Lot was in Sodom, no doubt he married a woman of Sodom, and they had children. And as you know, when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, the angels went in to pull Lot and his family out of the place because Abram, the man of God, was interceding for his family. Never stop praying for your family. Never give up on praying to God for your family. God may send an angel tonight to rescue someone in your family. And so those, those angels went, you know the story, and as they pulled out his family, Lot's wife looked back and turned into a pillar of salt. 
And they escaped, Lot and his two daughters, to the mountains, and they watched the brimstone come up over the area. And Lot's daughters, who had been taught the worldly culture and the immoral culture of Sodom and Gomorrah, felt that they may not get a husband, which means they may not have children, and their value would be diminished as women. So they put a plan together to get their father drunk and to lay with him. And both daughters did this, and one of them had a son by the name of Moab. And so Ruth descended from the Moabites. There's also the Cushites, who are a part of the family tree of Jesus. And this is beautiful to me. I know we talk about Christmas trees, but man, look at this beautiful family tree here. There's a Cushite by the name of Bathsheba. Sheba takes us back to Genesis chapter 10, where Sheba was one of the sons of Ham. Ham was the progenitor of dark-skinned people. And so Noah's three sons populated the earth, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Japheth is where bright-skinned people, Caucasoids, come from. Ham is where dark-skinned people come from. And Shem is where the olive complexion people come from, the Jews, the Semites, even the Arabs. And so in this family tree, you see all of these different kinds of people. And when I look at this, I'm like, Lord, why did you do that? You could have just came through a pure, quote unquote, bloodline all the way through without having women accounted for without having various classes spoken of from rich to poor. You could have just had Jews and Hebrews a part of your lineage. Why add Moabites, such a despicable people? Why add the Canaanites who were the enemies of God? Why add the Cushites? Why do that? Well, Matthew 1, 21, as we close. The angel said, and she, Mary, will bring forth a son. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You shall call his name the Lord saves. Jehovah is salvation. Why? Because that is the essence of who he is and why he has come. He has come to save. He was born so that those who are dead can be born again. He came to die so that we could live. He came to save us. He came to save his people. Who are his people? Not only Jews, but Gentiles. Not only kings and people of royalty and nobility, but also peasants and paupers. Not only men, but also women. He came for the prostitute. He came for the polygamous, like Solomon and the bigamous, like even great Abraham. He came to save his people. All of us are his people. He came to save us from our sin. He was born to save us from our sin. Not only the penalty of it, which is death and separation from God in hell, but he also came to save us from the ruling power of sin in our lives. 
through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, God gives us the desire and the ability to say no to ungodliness. And then one day we know he's going to save us from the presence of sin when we get to heaven. Or when heaven comes down to earth to reign, whichever comes first, when Jesus comes back or we go and meet Jesus. So tomorrow when you assemble with your family and before you open one gift, make sure you thank God for the greatest gift of all, and that is eternal life, that Jesus came to save all people from their sins. But before I let you go, I have to ask you a question. And that is, have you been saved from your sins? I mean, if Jesus came to save his people from their sins, are you one of those people that has been saved from your sins? Because you can't save yourself. That's not how God designed it. He knew you couldn't save yourself. You can't do good enough. Your family is dysfunctional. No matter how much money you have or how little money you have, how much education is in your family or how little education, it doesn't matter. Whether you're of European descent, African descent, Latino descent, native descent, Asian descent, you need to be of heavenly descent. You need to be born from above. Let's receive the best gift of all. I don't know what you're going to get tomorrow. I hope it's what you want. And if not, I hope there's a gift receipt to take it back and get it. <laughs> but don't miss the reason for this season. My sister showed me a picture, my sister Kathy in Baltimore, of a Christmas wreath. And next to the Christmas wreath was a crown of thorns. And the caption read, don't miss the reason for the season. The Christmas wreath. Ah, oh, yeah, the season. But the reason is the crown of thorns. He was born to die. Will you take him up on that? If you've never done that, what do you do? This is what you do. You say, Lord, be merciful to me. I am a sinner. I want to be saved from my sin. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place, taking my penalty on your body on that cross. You were wounded for my transgressions. You were bruised for my iniquities. Mm, I receive you for myself. Be my Lord and be my Savior. That's it. That's the beginning. That's when you start all over. You become born again when you pray that prayer. From your heart to the heart of God. So as you stand with me, would everyone stand? Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for Christmas. Mm. Had Jesus not come, there be no way that we could be saved from our sin. Lord, when we read the Bible, all of these great men and women that you used, they were still sinners. 
And they look forward to the Savior to come. From Abraham all the way down to the last verse of Malachi. They look forward to your coming. We thank you for Matthew 1.1. We thank you that you came, Jesus. And we thank you that we can look back and trust the one who came to save us from our sin. But Lord, the greatest gift of all is not what we're going to find under a tree tomorrow or a phone call we may receive from a friend or a loved one. The greatest gift is receiving the gift of salvation from Jesus. So before we leave tonight, if you're 9 or 90, male or female, black or white, native or Latino, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you want one, would you pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, <laughs> save me. I receive your gift of eternal life. Thank you for dying that I might live. Jesus, I give you my life. Now with the saints praying, If you prayed that prayer or something like it tonight for the first time where you said, Lord, save me. Could you just raise your hand so I can see it? Is there anyone? I see that hand. Is there anyone else? You prayed tonight, Jesus. I received the gift. Is there anyone else? your prayer. Lord, we thank you for another opportunity to share the good news that you've come to deliver us from sin. Thank you that you are alive as we remember the babe tomorrow, as we worship 